This bonus series was made in collaboration with Philip Stauffer and Julie Maples from Firefly Ventures, a practical startup operator handbook to give our listeners a first-hand experience they can apply to their growing ventures. Because at the end of the day, it's not the board that has to live with that new investor being a part of their life and their company and, and their journey along the road. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Julie, we are here in San Francisco, where we're welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. Thank you so much for taking the time. Glad to have you here up and over the pond exactly. on our side. You are a co-founder and general partner at Firefly Ventures, through which you are invested in companies like Boundless, Rosalind AI, Moby Systems, and many more. And you're also a board member at the V Foundation for Cancer Research. Thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be with you. Our topic is how to split your time as a fundraising founder. So just already as a non-fundraising founder, you have many tasks at hand, right? So what are the most important tasks that you should take care of as a founder from your perspective and experience? Mm. Well, I think as a founder of a company, um, you're never not fundraising, right? So even the moment that a round closes, um, you should already be thinking or thinking on your behalf, what are the sort of strategies you should be taking going into the next round? Mm -hmm. So... After the closing is before the next round, basically. So when you start fundraising, what what are some of the core tasks that you should pay attention to as a founder? What's the most important two, three things that you should really pay attention to? Well, hopefully if you've laid the groundwork, meaning that day one after you've just closed around, right? If you're always in that mode of saying, what are the milestones that I expected to achieve with the Mm -hmm. fundraise? tracking to how you're doing, where, where are you missing, where are you overachieving, um, and then continually having some sort of method where you're communicating that out to people who were interested in the last round, but maybe it was a little bit too early. Um, so you always want to kind of pre-vocalizing your progress so that when you do get to the fundraise, it can be a tighter uh, process that's a little bit more formalized, but really just building upon the story that you've already told. Mm-hmm. It sounds very simple the way that you say it, but I know it can be way harder in practice. Do you have a good example for such a milestone that you want to hit or create a fundraising story around? What, what makes a good milestone for a fundraising story? Uh, a good mile. Well, okay, so I think it really depends upon what are you know, the key indicators that you're t- trying to track for your business, which can mm-hmm. be sort of general things like uh, ARR, cash flow customer acquisition costs, all those types of things, but then also maybe a few metrics which are unique to your own business, ones that other ones may not have. Mm -hmm. So for instance, we have one portfolio company that's in the very elite level of the AWS services, which means AWS has a sales team that jointly sells cloud services as well as them. And so we have a conversion metric there, which is how many clients have we won from AWS. But whatever those key pieces are that you should track that are relevant to your business, um, you know, tracking those all along, have a good method, whatever the right cadence is of sending out either an email update, um, whether it's bi-monthly or quarterly, uh, so that once you get to a point where you're starting to think about a fundraise, a lot of the pre-work has already been done. I think that's a very important point that you just made here. The fundraising doesn't just start with 
okay, now I start reaching out because I need the fund, it already starts way earlier than that by building the relationships. That's right. That's right. And it can be sort of key um, constituents. Maybe it's angel investors or strategic partners that are also in your ecosystem because those are the people that are also evangelizing you on a day-to-day basis in their meetings if you're top of mind. So you got to be top of mind. Yeah. And you you keep, you stay top of mind by providing continuous updates. Mm Mm-hmm. The good, the good, the bad, and maybe not yeah. the ugly, but at least the highlights <laughs> and lowlights so right. that when people see your information or updates, they understand that it's a balanced update where they're seeing yeah. kind of all sides of the business because all startups have challenges. How, how do you receive these updates from founders that you haven't invested in? Is it just like a few bullet points in an email or do they send you full reportings and, and decks? How does that work? Typically, it's, um, it, well, what I would encourage since we're at the seed stage mm-hmm. is I encourage our founders to do even just an email update. So it can just be bullet points. Whatever has the least amount of friction. Some mm-hmm. founders are more um, able to sit and write longer pieces, which is not me. I'm right. better at writers, writing shorter, crisper things. But whatever can be efficient for them, and but something that they can be consistent. So don't yeah. sign up for something monthly if you're going to be able to do it monthly for two months and then miss three. So whatever that cadence is for the founder. Consistency is key in that regard to really build the trust with potential investors. Exactly. Yep. Trust is a big word. That's a great word, someone. And I also wonder who should actually own that process, not only the update process, but also the whole fundraising process. Is it necessarily one of the founders or both founders who should have the lead and the key responsibility here? I think if as a team grows a bit in size, um, it can be that there may be, if there's enough there, it can be split out into into um, more granular subse- subsections like a product, et cetera. But typically that's not at this, you know, the seed stage, that's later. So even just, you know, the five to six bullet points that keep you top of mind, mm-hmm. and that's that's pretty much owned by the founder from their, from their seat, from their viewpoint. And then when you go more into the fundraising process itself, do you bring in more people or should still the founders do all the work and the lifting? For sure. The key, the key members of the team should be involved. So as much as there is breadth on the team, whether it's a chief te- technology officer, whether it's product officer, all, what are the key elements of your founding team? Investors should see um, how you all balance one another out, how you know you balance your differences, your weaknesses, your strengths. And because that's what comes together to really, you know, create the formidable team that investors want to back. Right. And is there something that you say, this absolutely has to be done by the founder, like pitching, for example, or doing the first introduction calls where you want to absolutely have the founding team or at least one of the founders in in that meeting, in that call? It's either the founder or the co-founders, which doesn't have to be in the initial outreach, but the person who's really um, sharing their vision and mission, nobody can nobody can tell that story like a founder, especially if it's sure. deeply within their DNA. So you want the vision, the mission, the origin story really coming from the co-founding team. Yeah. And then once you do more of a deep dive where you want to understand the product or you want to have a look at the financial plan, I guess that's then when you bring in other leadership team members into the calls and meetings. For sure. And I think that's a great that's a great signal of the leader that you are, that you are comfortable, you're comfortable delegating, you know, the people that are best at their jobs telling that part of the story, right? If you have a founder who needs to tell the whole thing, that's probably not a good sign either. Right. Yep. Perfect point. 
And you still have a daily business to run when your fundraising is a founder or as a leadership team. How should you actually split your time in that regard? How much time should you allocate to raising funds versus still running and really managing and, and running your, your business? It's a great, it's a great dilemma. Uh, <laughs> but I think the founders that I see that do it best are the ones that are making the continual updates uh, and keeping, especially the people that they might think are the best fit or the firms that are the best fit, mm -hmm. kind of top, keeping themselves top of mind. That way that when you do get to the fundraising process, it's as tight as it can be. Um, and really running a clear process where you're delegating and having different members of the team owning, diff owning different parts of the questions that come up in the due diligence. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes that all goes out the window and you do what it takes because without the funds, you know, you're kind of dead in the water. So yeah. um, you take it all with a grain of salt till, till it hits, right? True. Yep. And we, we talked about bringing the, the leadership team. Is there any additional support that you should also activate along the process? I'm thinking about legal support, for example, or anyone else that you can think of with your experience who should be involved in that fundraising process. I think as long as you have, I mean, you definitely want to have the right counsel, right? You want to have counsel that's steeped in the markets that you're in, whether it's in Europe, whether it's a Swiss AG or whether you're a Delaware Corp here. Mm -hmm. um, you want to have the players that know what they're doing. Um, but as long as you can rely on that counsel being there, my suggestion is always don't pull them in too soon. It's right. You want to Lawyers can sometimes complicate things with right. all due respect. So you want to run as much of the process as you can as a founding team, mm -hmm. um, selling the vision to an investor. And then there's a certain amount of trust that a lot of the elements, um, if you have the right counsels, um, will be there. So obviously you want to do your legal due diligence and follow through with all that. But to the extent you can keep it tighter with your team, I think that's yeah. a good way to go. Would it be fair to say that you say you want to go to sort of a verbal agreement where you say this is about the valuation that we go for, this is the storyline, and then once you want to put that into a contract, that's the right time to onboard the legal support? I, I mean, I think once you get to the term sheet stage, you probably no. do want to be, um, if it feels like there's any ambiguity, whether it's art or science wrapped around yeah. valuations or terms, you want to get sort of market feedback as to what is current market? Does this valuation seem right? And that can be from other co-founders. It can be with your seed investors or later stage investors. Whatever it is, mm -hmm. make sure you're getting the right people and enough feedback so that you're coming out with something that feels balanced and that you feel good about. But ultimately, it is about the relationship with the new investors that are coming on board. Absolutely. And along that fundraising process, what role does a board or advisory board play? Should you also have them involved? I think... Um, ultimately, those new investors are going to want to form their opinion directly with the team. But hopefully, if a board or advisory board um, that's already on your bench, mm -hmm. they've made introductions, they've opened doors for, for you as a founder. Yeah. Um, that's the most important part, right? It's up right. to the founder to say, this is or isn't a fit, or you to find a fit with the new firm. Um, because at the end of the day, it's not the board that has to live with that new investor being a part of their right. life and their company. and and their journey along the road. Yeah. So we were just talking about bringing on advisors or your board, right, um, into the fundraising process. And what about other founders? Should you also do like reference checks or ask them for feedback and input uh, while you raise your funds? For sure. I think other founders and teams um, that have worked with the investors that, that 
are doing due diligence and you're doing your due diligence on them, that's an important part, right? It has to, I mean, the investors do deep due diligence, but as a founder, you should as well, right? It's your mm-hmm. company, it's your vision, it's what you've started. And I would definitely say make the time to make sure that who you're going to be working with is is somebody that is a fit for you. Yeah. And one thing we, we see more and more coming up as sort of a, a quick fix is like fundraising services. So where people promise to help you raise funds or even do that for you in exchange for a commission on the total raised funds. Is that something you'd recommend people taking into consideration when raising their round or is that a big red flag from an investor perspective? I think if you're able to raise the funds on your own, do it, right? Yeah. But it's not a perfect world. And there's scenarios all the time where if things aren't, you know, if you're going somewhat sideways and you have to bring on somebody to do that, I'm not going to say don't do it because, you know, the reality is you want to, the reality is sometimes not the perfect world. But as a founder, if you're able to go out and raise the funds, you should do it. Yeah, it sends a stronger signal to the market. For sure. Now, let's look at the reality check, how everything plays together in, in, in practice. We, we heard about the sort of time-consuming aspects of raising funds, but also still running your daily business, you know, closing new deals, etc., for your business at the same time. It's very easy to feel overwhelmed along that process as a founder, I can imagine. So do you have any tips on, on how to avoid that or how to manage that when it happens? Well, I think you were here today when you saw me on the phone with founder <laughs> who's having that very dilemma. Yeah. Um, and I don't think there's any easy answers for that. I do think what we talked about earlier, which is if you've shared the story all along, um, you, you then don't have you know, the lead up time where you're continually having to bring people up to speed on who you are when they've seen so many deals coming their way. You've stayed mm-hmm. top of mind. That is one way to manage it. Um, the other, the other, the other important thing to keep in mind is, you know, uh, your life is your life and there's no amount of, (laughs) of giving up your life and your health that's going to, that's going to matter. Right. So, um, again, that's probably not the reality, but sometimes just keeping perspective is a really good thing to remember for all of us. I like that perspective. And what should you do or what do you recommend founders to do if they're in the middle of the fundraising process and suddenly their business starts to suffer? They lost an important client or they don't close the deal that they wanted to close, which they were also sharing about with potential investors that there's this hot lead and suddenly they dropped out of the process. What should you do then? What is the best way to approach this? I think if something is happening at on the job and you're in the middle of a fundraise, but you have to turn your attention to it, you share that, you communicate it. And if, if as an investor and I say, wow, they're closing on a hot lead, they're advancing a right. contract that's really pivotal to the, pivotal to the business, mm-hmm. um, then that's understandable. So I would say as much as you can be transparent and communicate throughout the fundraise process, you know, investors are going to feel that something's off. Oh, they've kind of dropped below the radar. They're, they're not emailing back as quickly as they used to. So I think being transparent is a good way to go. And, and proactive probably as well, right? Mm-hmm. On, on top proactive, of that. For sure. And how long does all of that actually take, the fundraising process? Because it already starts way earlier than we might have thought before talking to you today. How long does it really take to, to raise funds for your company? It's, 
completely independent of each unique company and situation. Sure. Yeah, it's completely, and it, and it depends upon so many variables which have nothing to do with the founder from yeah. times, right? So it can be where a firm is in their cycle. It can be there's shifting things on a firm's end. There's, there's so many factors. So sometimes, you know, they say it's better to be lucky than smart. And um, <laughs> sometimes that's true. You know, it's good to have both. Yeah, timing, you can't influence the timing, you just try to understand it, right? Right. Do, do, do you think it's, it's safe to say you should at least calculate with like six months, for example, to actually set up and, and close the fundraising round? Or would you give any recommendation on that part? I would say longer than that. Okay. I would say you, you want to be thinking about, um, you know, kind of your, your cash flows and where are we if we burn more than we anticipate in the next three months, in the next six months. So really keeping a pulse on uh, where you are, where the status of the business is. Again, why tracking you know, KPIs is so important so that you see if you're kind of overperforming or underperforming, you got to accelerate one way or the other, depending yeah. upon. Right. Is there any final tip on fundraising founders that you'd like to share with our audience today? Mm. Well, you asked me earlier who should be doing the quote-unquote pitch. And yeah. I think that um, the strongest message, the strongest signal you can get about an investment is when you really see a founder that speaks from the heart and just lets it fly. And there's nothing like an investor feeling a part and, of that journey and hearing the passion that's coming out of the founder. So I would say to the extent you can, just you know, let it out, let it fly and um, you know, just be authentic and, and that really shines through. I love that. Yeah, the passion can make all the difference in the end. Mm -hmm. Julie, sure. thank you so much for stopping by today. Thanks. We see you again in the next episode. Yeah, great to have you here. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.